Happy Monday, folks. Welcome to another episode of Southern Scrap Nation's podcast. Your host, as always, Daniel Jonas. Today is Monday, June 29th, 2020. Um, it is 10 o'clock here in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, a.m., doing a podcast to break down what the fights this past weekend from the UFC APAC Center. We had Dustin Poirier uh, winning a unanimous decision over Dan the Hangman Hooker, an arguably fight of the year contender, if not fight of the year. We'll get into that. But before we do, remember you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play as long as all other listening apps and devices and different things. Go to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. There you can follow us, Sun Scrap Nation, as well as me, Daniel Jonas. And other than that, SunScrapNation.com for everything else. So let's get into the fights this weekend. Um, fights were great. The main event kind of overshadows everything else. The only other thing that could be overshadowed would be Mike Perry's cornerman of the year. Um, but we'll, like I said, we'll get into that. So, first things first, let's bring up the fight card and talk about it. Also, we'll go over some news. We have a little bit of a lapse in fights between now and July 11th because they are triple stacking the title fights and moving the card to Yaz Island in Saudi Arabia. So in between now and then, I'll do podcast today, podcast Wednesday, everything all normal. Uh, just I won't be breaking down any fights this week, just the news. And then this weekend, I'll give everybody, at least in the United States, a little vacation uh, because it is July 4th. Okay, so let's go ahead and start with the prelims. Off of the prelims, the only thing mentioning that's worth it is the well actually Tanner Bozer with the phenomenal Kane Velasquez and we'll go into the Kamal worthy actually I don't know why this chick's getting all the praise uh Kay Hansen young 20 year old uh submits Jin Frey. I didn't get a chance to watch the fight but she got it she got an arm bar um it looks like she was dominating the fight anyways and she got a shout-out from Ronda Rousey saying that she had an awesome armbar. Um, and then, yes, third-round submission. I'll actually try to see if I can pull up the fight and understand why the hype is the hype. Um, but moving on to the heavyweight division. So... Let's see. A lot of judo. Oh, okay. So I'm assuming she's a judo practitioner or something. She's doing a lot of her clenches judo-based, inside leg trips, over-unders, trying to get the hip involved. Low center, low base. She kind of plots forward. Wow, it is a very I'm, I'm watching it. It's a lot of no action for a bit, at least into the second round. First, second round, there's a little bit of movement, and then she goes in for a takedown, second round, halfway through it. 
gets it, and she kind of, I'm assuming she dominates on top for the rest of the round. Yeah, stuck in half guard. If it's her USA debut, it's, I mean, it's great. Great patience and just like being calculated. Sticking to positions over trying. I mean, she gets a submission, but at least for now, like in the second round, she's being very patient. Not trying to rush any top. Doing some, doing some great ground and bound. I'm wondering where the she got cut over the over her forehead, and I'm wondering where that came from. Well, we'll find out. Watching the third round right now. Da, 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 da. Uh, all right, so Frey gets an inside leg kick. Uh, let's see, hold on. Commercial, commercial. That's it? That's all they gave me? I couldn't even see the submission? The fuck? Anyway, looks like great patience. Anyway, uh, I, I guess. I think the Tanner Bozer knockout was way more impressive in my mind as far as watching something awesome. That dude hit Philip Linz with an overhand right and then hit him with like five shots on the way down, equal to Cain Velasquez versus Noguera, and then one more back fist. Just picture perfect. Awesome performance. And then Kamal Worthy versus Luis Pena. Back and forth. Great fight. Uh, Kamal Worthy... Awkward style, but makes it work. Uh, Luis Pena uses his wrestling, takes him down, and Kamal Worthy does an elbow over, like a, a, a high elbow guillotine. So how high the elbow was on the guillotine passing to either the right or left side isn't going to work anymore. You need to start hand fighting or just at this point I mean, you kind of fucked up if the, the elbow's that high. So you got to, like, springboard back and get your back to the mat to get, to get out of that deep of a choke. Luis Pena went to one side. Kamara Worthy, all he had to do was just keep that elbow high and just keep pulling that arm and, um, you know, using his lats to really squeeze down rather than, like, squeezing his biceps. It was, it was great. I, I mean, as far as a guillotine goes getting a high elbow at any point is dangerous as fuck and the person defending it has already made the mistakes and i mean with the main event we'll talk about it guillotines if you can land them if you're pretty proficient at them they're pretty good deterrent when it comes to takedowns unless you get someone like khabib who uh, where you have to have a, a level higher than dustin poirier's at jiu-jitsu to be able to really secure a guillotine on him. Um, most people, when they go for a takedown, if you can sprawl and get the guillotine, uh, it'll give them more of a reason to back out and not have their head in that position. So another great point about head and arms, shout out to John Combs, even though um, uh, Kumite this weekend didn't go his way. Still, shout out to him because learning from him 
uh, and for us, what I learned about the guillotine is it's more than just a choke. Uh, it's a position, right? The front headlock. You want to you want to use that position to solidify a front headlock, and then from there you can attack a guillotine. You can attack with knees. You can attack with punches, depending on what rule set you're playing. And this was in this sense with the Kamal Worthy fight. He just used it as a submission attempt and didn't even establish a position. But that's also because he got the elbow so high. So it's kind of like done deal. It's like when you lock your legs up for a triangle. It's kind of a done deal. Um, also third round. You know, we'll get into the we'll get into the Marcin Green Gian, Gian Volante fight for that. But that being said, shout out to Kamal Worthy. It's fun to watch. Uh, catchweight, Sean Woodson versus Julian Arosa. Julian Arosa coming in, late replacement, right? I'm saying like Wednesday of last week, maybe Tuesday of last week. Sean Woodson, um, highly talented, highly talented prospect, moving up the ranks, loose as a goose when he fights. He's long, lanky, um, has really killer stri- like straight punches. Uh, on top of that, has got a great coach in James Krause at the MMA lab, but Julian Arosa, I was saying this on the, on the podcast before you shouldn't count him out. He was on the ultimate fighter. Then he went to the contender series. He on the ultimate fighter season already had a very solid base and fundamental. He was a little awkward, Tim Elliott kind of awkward, but he already had a good fundamental base. He didn't win that season, obviously, but he, he kept going. So the fact that he's back in the UFC and he's winning, um, I only expect uh, like top 15 guys for him. I feel like he's a top 15 fighter. Like he should be fighting those guys just based off experience. I mean, 24 and nine versus an eight and O fighter. Julian Rosa did what he was supposed to. He pressured the tall, lanky fighter. He, didn't respect the power that Sean Woodson was throwing at him. He got dropped, came back, didn't care. Like, that's the veteran savvy. He put the long power rangier fighter on the back foot, making them stop and explode, stop and throw punches, stop and throw kicks. That movement of backing and throwing, 8-0, like, you can be good, but you don't have the experience to keep like to do that and not get tired. A guy like Anthony Pettis even suffers from having someone back back him up because it's a lot of energy. Key in point, if you are a kickboxer or you need to work on your kickboxing and you want to learn how to deal with somebody that is long rangey, has like a variety of attacks, kicks, punches. Watch Joseph Altolini versus Raymond Daniels. It's a prime example. You have a very versatile kickboxer and American kickboxer with all different kinds of strikes, and then you have a traditional Muay Thai fighter. He walked Raymond Daniels down, beat the legs up, destroyed the ability to move quite as well, forcing Raymond Daniels to stop and throw, stop and throw, draining the gas tank that way, going to the body, and then eventually the knockout came. But that's what you have to learn. Fighting backwards is hard. That's why Muhammad Ali would run miles backwards. Because the ability to run backwards is a 
greater feat than being able to just run a couple miles, right? Um, there's a reason why you work on that kind of stuff. But that comes with time and experience and learning, right? So Julian Arosa, great job. If you if you bet on him, if you if you took my bet and you went with him that weekend or this weekend, congratulations, man. You made a plus fucking I don't even know. It was like plus seven hundred or something like that. It was ridiculous. Uh, hell yeah, veteran savvy for the win. Then you had a quick knockout from Takashi Sato versus Jason Witt. Uh, not much to say about this fight besides the fact that Henry Hoof stated it on his Instagram. You can go to it. Kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. Uh, one, two, right down the pipe as a southpaw. Kept it inside the lines. Jason Witt tried to counter with a left, with a left hook. Takashi Sato's jab and cross were inside his left hook. Uh, he won the race, right? You go around. Uh, he went right down the middle. That's we'll get into the main card talk or the main fight talking about that main event talking about that. But if you fight a guy that's got very long looping punches, the best way to beat them is through the middle, up the middle, through the middle. Things if you draw a circle and you put a dot on the top and a dot on the bottom, right? I can take the route around to get to either to get to either side. Or I can kind of cheat and just go from dot to dot right down the middle, right? So it's the same concept. Two people facing each other. If you throw looping punches, it's going to get to me. But in order to counter that, I have to go right down the middle because it's going to be faster. So that's exactly what he did. There's nothing more to it. One, two, bang, bang, down the middle, finished up with punches. Brendan Allen versus Kyle Dukakis. Great fight. Brendan Allen showed awesome ground and pound and awesome jeets. Kyle Dawkins, man, being, uh, you know, being, he got the he got the takedowns. He got three of five takedowns, which then Brendan Allen reversed, got to top position. Da 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 da. Yeah, it was just great. He got one knockdown. It's a great fight between two new guys. Brendan Allen's been around 18 fights, and then Kyle Dawkins has 10. All right, so let's get into the heavy. Oh, also, shout out to Brendan Allen because he is walking around, uh, walking away with three fractures in orbital and nose. That's crazy. Even though he, uh, even though he sliced up. Yeah, even though he, like, sliced up his opponent, Dawkins. Pretty bad. He hit him with, like, a cut in the very beginning. Um, <laughs> Kamar Worthy wants a Robbie Lawler versus Roy McDonald type of fight. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, you, uh, I, don't, I, I don't know if I'd want to be on either side of those. R- rather Robbie's side, I guess, if I had to pick one side, but... Both not good results. All right, and then we get to the heavyweights. We got um, um, Maurice Green getting a submission over Gian Vellante. And I don't know what kind of submission. It was a bottom head and arm, I guess, or a bottom darse. 
I'm going to say what it is. It wasn't a thing. Like, it just wasn't a choke. I, I don't know if Gian Vellante got tired. Uh, he was on top, too. But that wasn't a choke. Gian Vellante also packing on the pounds. He came out of he came out quarantine bodied up, which is crazy because Gian has the fundamentals to back up his ability. But it's just funny to watch him come out looking like Roy Nelson out of nowhere. Um, and then, I mean, he does fairly well. His hands are great. He's pushing Maurice Green on the back foot, takes him down, but then actually doesn't even get a takedown. But he's, like, boxing him up. He gets, oh, he got knocked down. That's why. Um, gets on top. And then, fucking, I don't know. He, I guess he just got tired. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. That was a weird choke. He only had a couple minutes. He only had, like, a minute left in the fight. But Maurice Green, Tanner Bozer called him out. I think that's a great fight. They should definitely go for it. If he had a problem with Gian Vellante, I think Tanner Bozer is going to be even more of a problem for Maurice Green, especially how quick he can get in and out of range. My friend uh, up in Montreal, uh, Garen, he trains out of TriStar. He trains alongside Elias Theodoru, and I guess he trains with Bozer. He's got the same kind of speed and um like hands as Bozer, and I can tell you if you are not ready for that, for a, a bigger guy to move in and out like that, like Gian Volante kind of like plotted forward and outboxed him, like using his hands to move inside, but Tanner Bozer's more like footwork and then hands come inside, which is, you know, for a bigger guy, you'd have to get to a Cain Velasquez kind, you know, uh, kind of guy to be able to do something like that. All right, and then we go to the co-main event where we had Mickey Gall versus Mike Perry. Mike Perry, uh, coach of the year, um, Latori Gonzalez cornering him. All she did was come in and put some ice on his back. I mean, uh, my friends during the fight, we were talking, and one of my friends is like, it pains me to watch this guy with all the talent in the world let his lifestyle kind of fuck it up. And yeah, people are going, oh, people are going to start firing their cornermen after Mike Perry's decision to just have his girlfriend in his corner and do all that. Mike Perry's a different kind of person, right? He's crazy. He's wild. He, he's a natural-born fighter with raw talent. Yeah, sure. If you want to fire your coach and have a corner yourself and not have to pay the 20% that he's, you know, he's talking about, and we can get into fire pay, even though I talk about it most episodes. Um, you know, he was worried about all the percentages that Uncle Sam's taken and, you know, just has to change his life up. But even Mike Perry, after the fight, said he's moving to South Florida to get some help in try to join a camp. He recognizes that this he was just in a he was just at a crossroads in his life. Maybe the gym that he was training at, his ex-wife trains there still and doesn't want to move and that's where she wants to be and he's like fair. Um I'll call it a day and I'll go somewhere else. Whatever the case may be, whatever's going on in his personal life, he was in a crossroads, he decided what he decided and lucky for him, he won this fight. 
Mickey Gall, I don't know what it is. The guy goes and he trains with some of the best people in the world constantly. Joe Schilling, Mark Coleman. Like, he's gone to the best of the best constantly for the for training and getting better. And anytime he takes up a little bit, up a step in level, it, like a Mike Perry, Diego Sanchez, it just doesn't go his way. I don't know if it's because he's young. I mean, his literal first professional fight was right before he fought CM Punk. I think like he only had one or two professional fights. So obviously he he's still young in the sport and he needs a little bit more time. But, uh, you know, Mike Perry, actually, I guess people, I guess, I guess people, uh, what's the word for it? They underestimate Mike Perry's jiu-jitsu, even though he used to work with Jacare and Rodolfo Vieira at XL, XL, I think, XFuel, so XL Fuel or whatever, whatever it is, car, motor oil company, um, MMA gym, and he used to grapple with those guys. So he obviously had to learn, really, he had to learn how to defend himself in jiu-jitsu. He had to learn jiu-jitsu from those guys, and, you know, Mickey Gall's no slouch, but those two are arguably some of the best in MMA when it comes to jiu-jitsu. So that rub coming off of Mike Perry, if those guys aren't submitting you, you have to have the confidence that a Mickey Gall isn't going to submit you. So he can go in there and he, you know, outworked him and showed why he was great. However, the antics that he does are not going to work with the top 15 guys, even the top 10 guys. Jeff Neal made that clear, Right. At a certain level, yes, he's gonna have to find a team, but he recognizes that and he's going to. He was, excuse me, he was even talking about going and working with Yoel Romero, learning how to get bigger so he can go fight an Englishman up in middleweight. I think that's a perfect idea. Could you imagine Mike Perry and Yoel Romero working out together? Would be insane. Uh, I think it would be a great person to learn from as far as uh, what he needs. I mean, Yoel Romero's got 140 years of experience in combat sports um, on top of another 100 years just living. So giving that experience to Mike Perry and, you know, it, uh, hopefully Yoel's open to it. And then on top of that, just working together. Having that as your sparring partner, I'd be crazy. If I was Mike Perry, I wouldn't even go up to middleweight. I would just stay at welterweight. And then you get real good... Let's say he does train with UOL, and he, it's a perfect fit. And next thing you know, you got this guy who's been working on wrestling with Yoel Romero versus whoever the champion is, Gilbert or Usman. Now, I know it's a lot to say Mike Perry jumping from here to championship, but you got to think. Iron Sharpman's iron. During the fights, Justin Gaethje posted a video of he and Kumar Usman working together. If you have not seen that video... It's crazy. Go to Justin Gaethje's Instagram, ESPN's Instagram. Like, legitimate champions training with each other. Wild. So, I think it would be a smart move for him. And um, for Mickey Gall, back to the draw. I mean, get, what, six and three? Like, he's a very young fighter. So, even younger than Kyle Dukakis, as far as a fighter. And that was his pro, de- or that was his UFC debut. So we still got some some stuff to learn. Then we go to the main event. And the main event is all that we really need to talk about for the rest of the time here. 
Uh, Dustin Poirier versus Dan Hooker was fight of the year contender. So what we learned from the fight, at least what I've learned from the fight, I thought Dustin was going to go in with a more patient game plan and tee the body up, which he kind of did. As much as he didn't tee the body up in the way that I was expecting him to, he did go to the body on the longer guy by throwing them rear body kicks in the southpaw position right to Dan Hooker's liver. And that's a good way to get that body work in without having to be susceptible to knees or anything up the middle from Dan Hooker by using your hands trying to go to the body. Um, Dustin Poirier showed the difference between clean boxing technique and uh, the kickboxing aspect of Dan Hooker. Using the kicks to the body, it was a good deterrent, and it allowed Dustin to rack up those shots, those heavy, heavy shots, keep Dan's right hand nice and close to his body so, you know, there's no space for that, for that, um, there's no space for that uh, kick to get in. But what that also opens up on Dustin Poirier, or what that opens up for Dustin is Dustin patented, patent, patented right hand. So Dustin throws a beautiful overhand right, but he needs to set it up with the left hand. And in order to do so, he likes to jab, jab, cross, step through with the cross, then use that cross as a, as a, as a measuring tool and either plant it on the person, use it as a hook to throw that overhand right. Because as he steps through, his right side becomes his orthodox side. And if you're throwing the left, left, if you're throwing right, right, left, the person's going to start circling to their right. And, and as they do so, they circle to that power hand. And he threw that overhand right. Perfect little setup for him. Uh, it starts with that body kick, though. Uh, by keeping that hand close to his face, Dan Hooker's now, one, keeping the right hand close, not using that to attack back, and dust, and using the left to maybe stiff arm and keep Dustin away, but that leaves you susceptible to the overhand right. So that's what Dustin did well. On top of that, I thought Dustin was going to go to the body with the hands a little bit more, but he didn't, and he was able to still go up to the, to the top. Where I thought he was going to get caught, he did, but kind of not really. He got caught in the first two rounds with, um, like, knees up the middle, and then Dan went to the body. He did perfect, like, body work, and then Dustin would come swinging back off the cage. Dan clipped Dustin one good time, um, and then, I mean, the numbers say it all. Total strikes 208 to 182. Uh, Significant strikes are even. One takedown for Dustin, four for Dan, and we'll get into the takedowns, and then four submission attempts for Dustin. So I'll tell you when the four submission attempts happened. Uh, And then that one takedown. Okay. So um, with the Dustin Poirier, or with Dan Hooker, he was trying to keep Dustin at bay, but I think what I learned, and you see from the numbers, like, round by round, Dan's a very fast starter. And I think Paul Felder, the Paul Felder fight showed that. He started throwing the takedowns in halfway through the fight, which aren't bad. Like, he got four takedowns. Problem is, 
like I was talking about earlier with the guillotines, Dustin gave him the takedowns for the submission attempts. So now, as a veteran, you're using your veteran savvy to out-veteran Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker being a veteran, he goes for a takedown to get the takedown points. But Dustin throws a guillotine on it, slaps a guillotine. So now they're forced to fight the guillotine instead of passing and, and establishing top position. That takes your attention away as a judge going, oh, he's got him in something, rather than he got a takedown. So as much as those takedowns counted, the, the decision to go for the neck kind of negates it because it's you attack, and then Dustin, instead of defending, trying to sweep or whatever, he now attacks back. So now the ball's back in Dustin's court. Fair on Dan for trying to get the takedowns and getting them and getting them to the ground, right? Dustin's not an easy guy to just out-wrestle. Um, but the problem is the takedowns led to submission attempts. So it didn't, it didn't really play in his favor, right? He wasn't able to, like, get up and start landing shots or go for submissions of, him, for, of his own. Um, he got zero submission attempts. And the, also the other thing that we saw is the boxing pedigree of Poirier is better. It's just on a different level. He keeps the hands closed-fisted, and when he throws shots, it makes a significant difference. Dan Hooker was doing great going to the legs in the very beginning, kicking the calf. But by the third round, he poured out about 120 shots between the first and second round that by the third, fourth, and fifth, he's looking for... You know, he's looking for that break. Uh, Dustin, fifth round, you have the corner going, how are you feeling? I feel fucking great. Because he took the best that Dan had, and then he went forward for three extra rounds. It's a numbers game. Dustin, and then Dustin showed his, his the rub that he got from Khabib, arm-trapped Hooker, uh, last couple minutes of the fight, had Hooker's neck in the same way that Dustin, or the same way that Khabib had Dustin's neck. I mean, didn't. Like, crank out anything, just, like, was threatening that. Like, you just saw the rub that Dustin got from Khabib. And I think Dustin made a good, you know, solidified himself as the next person to go back and either fight Khabib or get a rematch with Dustin or with Justin Gaethje. Or he calls out, you go for Khan around two. I feel like that's not a bad idea. Khan around two, make all the money. Dustin deserves it. Um, who else is there? It'd be cool to see that fight. Uh, and it would just add wins. I mean, beat another former champion. Uh, why wouldn't Dustin want that fight? Obviously, Connor said he retired, whatever. Um, but if Dustin can find a way to, like, really, what's the word, uh, campaign for the fight, call him out in a way sure or he just waits for whatever happens with Khabib and Justin Gaethje which I don't think has been set yet or has it been set 250 no it hasn't been set yet so you can wait Uh, it's all up to him fuck man if I'm him I'm campaigning to be on the same card but have but have Connor as the co like be on a card with Connor or something like that. I don't know. I guess you couldn't because Connor, Connor would have to be 
Connor actually doesn't have to be in the main event. But in his contract, it probably has him as has to be main event. Oh, well. Either way. It's a great performance from Dustin. Uh, really showed just his experience level in the UFC. Um, showed his ability to take another person into deep waters without having to exhaust himself, right? It, it showed it the biggest takeaway I took from it. They both went and they both had a fight of the year performance. How does Dustin come away? And I mean, the shots were landed equally, right? How does Dustin come away with a little bit of a scratch, like a little bit of a cut, um, swollen eye? Obviously, Dan Hooker way, I mean, like cut over his eye, like bad. Dustin, like it's what I would, ex- I would have expected worse from that fight, to be honest, as far as uh, damage. But he took it. And then he gave it back even harder. And he, I mean, that's just, yeah. And to be able to do that, be a fight of the year contender, and still be able to um, perform like that after five rounds, five hard rounds, come out in the fifth round and just take the fight, that's championship shit. That's championship kind of shit, and you don't see that a lot. I mean, you mostly just see it from champions, but it's hard when Khabib is the best. And then, uh, yeah, a uh, little fight fact for those hardcore fans. The curse of the Irish dragon, Paul Felder, continued. So if you didn't know, everyone that fought and beat Paul Felder has lost their fight, has lost their next fight. So Edson Barbosa beat Paul Felder, UFC at Fox 16. Next fight, he lost to Tony Ferguson. Ross Pearson beat Paul Felder, then lost his fight to Francisco Trinaldo. Francisco Trinaldo lost his fight, or beat Paul Felder in Brasilia, and then lost to Kevin Lee. Then Mike Perry beat Paul Felder at UFC 226, then lost to an armbar against Donald Cerrone. And now Dan Hooker beat Paul Felder at Auckland and then lost to Dustin Poirier. That's crazy. Um, that's kind of cool that he's got a little curse next to his name. That's kind of cool. I like that. I like it a lot. All right. So, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's about it. Um, yep, that's about it. Not really much else going on. Uh, Brian Ortega accuses the zombie of ducking him. Oh, I guess they haven't signed they haven't signed it yet. I don't think Korean zombies ducking anyone. Amanda Nunes listed as massive underdog against Amanda Rebus. Yeah, that or Paige Van Zant. Yeah. Uh Paige Van not Amanda Nunes. Paige Van Zant listed as massive underdog against Amanda Rebus. Yeah. No shit. Amanda Rebus is fucking terrifying. She's so good. Um She beats everyone with a smile. It's great. So Paige Van Zandt, her last win. Obviously, we'll get into the fights later. She submitted Rachel Ostovich, someone with a 4-5 and five record. Uh, and then before that, she lost to Jessica Rose Clark, but she hasn't fought since 2019. Amanda Hebus, on the other hand, beat Ronda Marcos, 2020. Decision Mackenzie Dern, 
and submitted Emily Whitmire. All very, very good names, especially Mackenzie Dern. Ronda Marcos especially as well. I just think it's weird that she's going to fight. Fighting Paige actually is going down in competition. Um, I guess because it's Paige won her last fight. I don't really understand it. But as far as skill-wise, um, you won't see me arguing those numbers, at least for the underdog thing. All right, uh, let's see. Anything else? Anything else? Nope, nope. Uh, someone bet $20,000 on that K. Hansen and won, and they won $37,000, so they won $17,000, which is crazy. Um, good for them. All right, guys. That's all I have. That's pretty much all that's in the news. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the breakdowns of the fights this past weekend. Uh, I'll be back Wednesday to break down more UFC news, take everything from all these major UFC outlets and just kind of condense it for you because I know no one's got the time, even though everyone's got all the time during this quarantine. Um, other than that, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Uh, make sure to go check out the podcast on southernscrapnation.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, podcast app, wherever you listen to it. Um, on top of that, you can follow us on social media at southernscrapnation.com, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, southernscrapnation.com for everything else and more. Um, until Wednesday, guys, enjoy your week. Peace. <laughs>